Hi everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Scott Crone from Coda Management Group. Welcome, Scott. Thank you very much for having me, Ram. I'm really looking forward to this. Sure. Little bit about Scott. Scott is a Chicago native whose career in architecture began in 1991 by pursuing his Master of Architecture from the Illinois Institute of Technology. While obtaining his degree, he also worked as a project manager for Optima. During his time at Optima, Crone's responsibilities included notable projects such as the 400 unit Corman Dale in Deerfield and 40 unit Hedgerow in uh, Winnetanka, Illinois, and the 51 unit Optima Center in Illinois. In 2012, Crone founded Coda Management Group, a firm who specializes in managing real estate assets. Since its inception, Coda manages a wide range of real estate, including single and multi family homes, retail, commercial warehouse, and self storage and multi use flex athlete spaces. Currently, the platform of investment is in excess of 55 million. So, with that, Scott, you want to add anything to your background? Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.、Uh, it's been a long journey. I'm, a, you know, a little bit of gray hair to, to show for it.、Um, but we've always just tried to not dictate the market, but respond to what the market is providing at the time. And that's what's led us along this journey. Right.、Uh, thank you very much. Uh, would you share your architectural experience?、Uh, you have solid architectural experience.、Uh, share me your responsibilities. What exactly you did as an architect? architect? Well, when I, when I first began, I was a, a graduate student. I had a month off between college and、um, getting my graduate degree. And I began, you know, in the summer, we had to go nine to five throughout the entire summer to pre, we, we were pre qualified for the program. And then we had to get, you know, pass that class in order to fully get into the program. And so we spent the entire summer drawing in、uh, Crown Hall, which is Ludwig Mies van der Rohe's, one of his crown jewels in Chicago. And、um, there w a s about 12 of us. And so it afforded us a lot of opportunity to talk about what we wanted to do. And, And、um, also understand the, what the architects do, but look at it from a bigger perspective within the, within the entire industry. And so, that, later that year, I got connected as a TA for、um, a professor who owned a, an architecture development and contracting firm. And so, I got to work in his studio. I got to be a student in front of his, be his TA. And then, he, as his TA, he required me to work in his office. And so, the project that he was working on at the time. Was a $100 million, 400 unit development,、uh, which was the former Sara Lee factory, which we tore down, which is what you described as Coromandel. And so while in class, I was designing it and drawing it. And then when I was in his office, I was doing all the financial performance. And then other people were furthering the drawings that I was working on. And then,、um, you know, at night, I'd go home and from basically six in the morning to midnight, I was, you know, working on these projects. Um, throughout the school year. And then when I, school ended for the summer, then I would be working in his office. So it was, it was quite involved. In fact, when, we first, when I first graduated and we went full time, he, he mandated 80 hours of,、um, of work that was required in order to get these drawings done through the, through the approval process, just the, the right, which is called entitlements. 
the right to build the project, not the actual building permits, but just the zoning to have it. And so, you know, we were, you know, we're working on 316 condominiums, 64 townhomes and 16 single family homes. And we had to have it all drawn up and presented and have all the financial models. And so it was quite um, a lot of work and um, you know, but it really taught me a lot in a short amount of time. So um, I worked for him for six years and then I uh, briefly did work for another company that was a developer. And then that afforded me the opportunity to start my own company and went at the ripe old age of 28. And uh, we began with single family homes and then quickly progressed to multifamily and mixed use. But, you know, since that period of time, I've always seen the role as the architect um, integral to the process. Um, a lot of people rely heavily on the architect and um, other people rely heavily on the developer and others rely heavily on the general contractor or the construction manager. But for us, we see them all being equal. And I think that's the difference of our firm is that, you know, being a developer, I understand the financial restraints of the project and what we need to accomplish. You know, having my architectural background, I can understand how design impacts costs and how design impacts the way in which people use your space. And then from the construction point of view, I know how we need to build it to be the most cost effective, but to do to do it the, the well, the best and the lasting. So for me, having that those three spectrums is very critical for our business because of the fact that we implement both the developer, the design build, as well as the management once we own the property. Yeah, got it. So what other aspects you would consider as an architect? Well, it depends on each use. So if you want to take multifamily or um, if we're looking at self-storage, I mean, they're both very similar. We're renting a space. The only difference between multifamily and self-storage is that self-storage is an apartment without a toilet. You know, so we it's a it's a lot more simplistic model of an apartment building. But within an apartment building or within a space, the first one is how do you access the space? How do you use the space? How do you, you know, go into the space to use it and how efficient it is going to be. Um, when we were designing multifamily, we would want to make the circulation, the hallways, the elevators, the stairways no more than 10% of the space because any other square footage that we uh, put over to circulation was lost income because everything was either had to be rented or sold. And then the same is with self-storage, but because the, the units are smaller, we have more hallways. So that circulation space goes to around 30%. So we lose 20% more of the rental capacity of the overall building. But just that one component, like how you line up the structure, how you line up the mechanicals, how you line up the plumbing, um, all these things are important to make it sure that your building's efficient, um, as opposed to having irregular floor plans or floor plates and those sorts of things. So making it consistent, making it efficient, um, but then also making it creative in the sense that people enjoy the space and, and how they function and use it. We've, we've worked on plenty of projects where we get plans and we physically can't even build a building. It's just, it's physically impossible the way that it's drawn. And, you know, it, it takes a, a delicate word with the architect to point out like, you know, there's no ability for the structure to work the way that which it's designed or the plumbing to work or the mechanicals. We need spaces for these things to, to go up and down and back and forth and without compromising the intent of what they're trying to accomplish within the design. So that's where we see these things all integrating. Got it. Yeah. So would you share any, any complex project you have worked as an architect? Well, the, the most complex was the, the um, well, there's two. There was the $100 million project and then the other project 
in Winneka that you mentioned, the 40 unit townhome, uh, 40 unit condominium project. Those were the most complex. Um, not because, I mean, the building structure became very complex, especially for the, um, the 40 unit one, because in order to get that approved, I had to attend 36 board meetings. So we had zoning board, we had comprehensive plan board, we had architectural review committee board, and then we had the village board. And, you know, in order, we, it's, it began with zoning, then went comprehensive plan, then went architectural review, and then it went to the building to the, the the village board and that totaled 36 different meetings and what made it more complex was we had to have underground parking and typically when you design a multifamily building you begin with the parking parking always dictates it and it's one of the reasons like for instance our buildings that are self-storage were not converted into um, multifamilies because their structure did not allow for underground parking or parking, you know, the bays did not line up with a typical parking stall or a driving aisle. So when we would design new buildings, we would always design it around parking stalls. And then from there, we'd go vertically and then develop the units around that. But because the site was very tight, it required us to expand the parking, um, underground parking, which then went beyond the outline of the buildings. And so we had to have structure to carry the, the, the structure of the buildings above while then we were trying to cover the underground parking with, with sod and grass and make it look like there wasn't underground parking. And so those details and you know, accommodating the architectural design re- review requirements so that the building would be approved, um, proved to be the, the biggest challenges in terms of what they deemed to be appropriate. And, and now you're focusing on self-storage space, right? So would, would you share any three mind-blowing facts about self-storage? Well, the reason why we got into self-storage is, is how predictable the model it is. When we were building multifamily or, or speculative single family or any of those things, it was like we did the field of dreams approach. If you build it, they will come. Um, but with self-storage, it is a very predictable model. And one that I've gone back and, and studied to see how it performed in the last four major recessions. And what I've discovered is that it is the only asset class within real estate that has actually thrived. Um, in recessionary markets. So a lot of people deemed it recessionary proof, um, but I don't, I don't believe in proofs. I don't think there's anything proven consistently within real estate, but I do think that it is recessionary resistant. So it performs historically the best um, of the asset class, in my opinion. And that's because self-storage deals with people in transition. And if we can help those people out during transition, it eases their pain. It eases you know, the, the discomfort they're going through and it gives them a temporary solution to take a deep breath, um, catch their breath and then address the things that they need to. And then when they have further time to come address the other stuff that they need to, that they put in self-storage. So whether that be, you know, someone dying in the family and, you know, you don't know what to do with their stuff right away. So you get a self-storage locker or divorce and you have to find a new home or being displaced or dislocated. Um, you know, think about all the college kids that were in college and then all of a sudden they were told to leave and they immediately had to pack up their dorm rooms and find places to put their stuff and their parents couldn't come get them. That's another example of the importance of self-storage and why we were deemed essential during the pandemic. And the last, the last big fact I would say is that less than 10% of the current U.S. economy or population uses self-storage. And it's, you know, well over a billion dollar industry. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing portfolios trade for a billion dollars and, um, you know, incredibly low cap rates. 
Got it. Yep. So, so your group focusing on new construction self storages or existing ones. What exactly your business plan and so what, what markets and what what type of asset class you're targeting in self storage space? Well, first and foremost, we're developers, so we're always looking to improve something. We're always looking to make sure that we're maximizing the potential of the property. So, you know, a lot of our portfolio has been buying underperforming commercial buildings and converting them into self-storage. And so that would be like a class A facility where you actually drive into it. It's fully climate controlled. The garage door comes down and you can unload your car or van or truck inside of our building. Um, we also have been buying some existing facilities, which either class B or C, depending if they're more rural or um, more suburban and how big they are. And we've been um, improving the management of them or expanding them to make to um, you know allow them to make more money. And so we're looking at new construction. We're doing new construction self-storage. We're doing expansion self-storage and we're doing conversions. And we're also doing ones we just improve on the management. The last facility we bought, the rental rates were 30% below market. So we bought the building and we're just coming in and raising the rents and automating the systems to make it more efficient. Got it, got it. Uh, would you share any, uh, any challenging experiences in self-storage space? Well, some of the challenges has to do with, um, you know, our, our permitting process or getting it through. Um, as much as it is an essential business, a lot of municipalities don't necessarily appreciate how they service not only residents, but also commercial entities. I mean, 50% of our clients are businesses. And so self-storage is sort of, um, you know, the ugly stepchild, you know, the Cinderella, if you will, in terms of, um, you know, not a lot of people appreciate it. But um, and don't feel it's necessary. And I mean, we've had different municipalities tell us, despite the fact that the zoning of the building permitted self-storage, they openly told us we don't want self-storage and they don't want it in their city. And my response to them is, then why do you have it zoned this way? You know, I have the right to do it. It's, it's how you zoned it. And so, um, you know, those are the conversations or the discussions and the challenges that we face with some of the municipalities that we're trying to keep self-storage in, in their cities. Got it. And uh, and how long it will take to get permits for no self storage units? Well, that that really depends on each municipality. I mean, we we worked with one city. Um, they told us that they were too small and didn't have the ability to hire somebody to rezone um, to create their proper zoning, and so they asked us to do it. And so here we were writing the zoning code for our own property. And, um, you know, that that took two months. So then, you know, it was a very quick process because they were a very small municipality. Other, you know, like when we were working in the city of Chicago, it took them like 10 months to issue our building permits and we were zoned for it. You know, they just took forever to issue the building permit. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So you have in-house development team or so you're using third party team? Uh, we, we do the development, we do the design and we do the build. So we have that all in-house and then. We also, um, last year, um, in response to the market, we opened up our own management company and our own brand, One Stop Self Storage. And so now um, our facilities are now going to be underneath our own brand. Yeah, got it. So how lending works for a new construction self-storage units? Well, you have to have, it's a, it's almost like a three-step construction process or loan process. You have the development process, you know, so you have the construction loan. And then once you get to the CFO, then you have your lease up stage. And so within the, the lease up stage, it requires, you know, your facility is empty. And typically the absorption rate of how fast you fill up your facility is 3% per month. 
So the standard is around 36 months. And if, you, if you're under 36 months, then you're leasing up very fast. And that's very similar to multifamily. The lease up uh, rate is very similar between multifamily and self-storage. And so that during that period of time, you're paying expenses. You know, you're paying people to work there, you're paying for the lights, and you don't have the necessarily the revenue to cover it. And so you need to you need to have a management reserve and an interest reserve that are all part of the loan. And then once you get stabilized, then you can get um, a permanent loan to for the financing. You get much better terms once you get the permanent loan. Got it. Yeah. Thank you very much. So would you also share any you know best to uh, real estate or any any investing experience so far? Well, I think you know one of the biggest things that we look for within our strategy right now is also the tax strategy. It's not just about the growth of the facility, but it's also about implementing the biggest tax shelters and, and, and strategies for our investors. So we've done historic tax credits, we've done opportunity zones, we've done cost segregation, um, all in an effort to increase the rate of return of our investors by providing them with tax shelters. So, you know, half of our investors are looking at strictly from a tax preservation, you know, in preserving their income and preserving their capital. And that's the whole point of the opportunity zones um, is to continue to grow that those monies while investing in a community, taking that risk, investing in it, but being rewarded by uh, getting a tax either reduction or total tax uh, liability removed from their their asset sheet. Got it. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Uh, what is your current focus, Scott? Well, we're we're building our portfolio. I mean, we we began um, working on self storage in 2013, and um, you know we believe that there's a recession shortly on the future in our in our economy, and we're prepared for that. We've been preparing for this for the past you know nine ten years, and so we're developing a portfolio to eventually move it and sell it to a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust company. Um, and some of the larger REITs are self-storage operators. So if we can compile a portfolio of like 10 to 15 to 20 facilities, um, we'd be able to sell them at a, at a lower cap rate at a higher price because they're willing to buy multiple facilities. Got it. Uh, Any one advice that have impact on you? Well, you know, you know you're from Greensboro and uh, we were talking about this a little bit before. Um, the president of High Point University, which is right next to Greensboro, um, is a dear friend of mine and he mentored me for five years. His name is Dr. Nito Kubain. And, um, you know, he was the one who helped me learn how to take my business from a local, you know, call it specialized business here in, in Chicago and now take it to a national level across multiple states. I mean, we're in Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, um, Virginia and Maine. And, you know, he, he was always encouraging me to, to not think about the deal, but to think about what is the ultimate exit strategy and not to be looking from deal to deal, but building something beyond that can, that is beyond you that other people are wanting to buy. That's where you get real growth and real, um, you know, income and wealth from not just from the transaction, but from the overall strategy. Got it. And uh, any personal habits that helping you to be successful? Well, I, I've been, uh, I joined a, a two and a half year program on that um, to develop my leadership skills. But a lot of it is, you know, I begin each morning, we get up around 530 and um, it begins in quietness and solitude. And a lot of that is walking on the beach during the winter and then uh, for four months of the year. And then the eight months, the other eight months of the year, I'm, I'm out paddle boarding on the lake. And that gives my mind um, the ability to be quiet, rest and recharge and um, prepare for the day. And it's 
you know, I, I intentionally do not bring any um, music or any other distractions out there. It's just my time out in the water and solitude and silence. Awesome. Uh, any books that impacted your life and what way? Well, I think the one, I mean, I, I love Henry Nowen. I love um, Scott McKnight. Those are great authors. They, they do a lot of good work. Um, but another book that has really impacted uh, our business, I will say, is um, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Crone. And um, what it is, is it studies the different personality types of people. And, and there's like nine categories of individuals. And so we we know this within our company. We have each person prepare and, and learn about themselves and what they are and then describe them to us because that way we have a better understanding of how to respond. If I can respond to my employee better because of how they listen or how they communicate, then I can be a more effective leader for them. And so, or they can be more effective in what they do and how they do their job. And so we hope that it alleviates a lot of tension and problems because we can appreciate where that person's coming from. And so the books about the Enneagram, which means nine, it's a nine system. And it was developed by these fourth century monks and it's still applicable to this day. Cool. Yeah. How are you giving back to community, Scott? Well, um, I would say there's a couple main things that we do. Um, you know, I, I try to invest in our, our community locally and the people that are involved with them. But one of the things that we do for the, the younger generation is that we have a mentoring program. We have a, an internship program and we've been blessed to have interns from Cornell and Kenyon College and Liberty University and High Point University and University of Wisconsin in Madison, where we actually pay our interns, but we give them real life opportunities to work on real projects. And when I talk with other leaders in, in the field who've like expressed like they don't really like interns, they take they distract them, they take away from their their time. We rely heavily on them. We give them actual real projects to work on. And um, the feedback that we get from them is, you know, how much they've learned during that period of time, because they're not just doing something mindless task. They're doing something that is really impacting our business and they get to see the, the actual result of those things. And so that's one of the things that we really do is we, we make that internship available. Um, we've reached out to um, a lot of schools and joined their inner networking. And so we, we take applications from all over and we've had international students from the Congo and Rwanda, a part of it and Namibia, and as well as local students. And so that is something that we feel that is um, a way in which we can give back and not just making them volunteer their time, but we actually pay them for their services. Awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Scott? Well, I appreciate that, Rama. If people want to reach out to us, the best way is info at coda, C-O-D-A-M-G.com. That's info at codamg.com. And if anyone mentions this show, we will send them a feasibility study, which is a study that we hire that uh, explains the market that we're going into. So we, we obtain this report for the specific location of the property that we're focusing on. And so it will be um, historical that you can see why we chose that market. And we'll also give them um, a self-storage deal analyzer. So that way they can plug in some numbers and it will calculate the rate of return and then the uh, cap rate for them. So that way they, they have that tool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for adding a lot of value to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. 
check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website ushacapital.com also if you enjoyed this episode share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review follow me on my social media thanks for tuning in and i'll see you next time